Welcome to the Build Wealth Canada podcast, where it's all about becoming debt-free, accelerating your wealth, and taking control of your money. Now, here's your host, Cornell Schreiber. Hey, it's Cornell, and welcome to the Build Wealth Canada show. Today, you're going to learn how you can save money on your investments by having the right investments in the right accounts so that you pay as little tax as possible. For example, if you hold Canadian stocks or ETFs that hold Canadian stocks, should you put those in your RRSP, your TFSA, or your taxable account? Which one of those is the most tax efficient? What about your US and other international ETFs and stocks? What accounts should they go into so that you pay the least foreign tax on those investments? You see, for us Canadians, different investments are taxed differently depending on what those investments include and what investment accounts you put them in. It's essentially an optimization puzzle that you can solve by putting the right investments in the right accounts to pay the least Canadian and foreign tax on those investments. And if you choose to optimize to this extent, like I do, you can essentially reap the benefits of these tax savings for the rest of your life, since those savings will compound over your investment lifetime and can essentially accelerate your net worth since every dollar saved in taxes on your investments is a dollar that stays invested and continues to grow and compound for you. Now, a bit of a warning, this level of tax optimization can get a little bit complicated. It's not for everyone. And especially if you're just getting started with a small portfolio, this level of optimization likely is not worth your time. But as your portfolio grows, the savings that you can reap with this level of optimization continues to grow as well. So I encourage you to still listen to this episode, even if you're just getting started, since at least this way, you'll know what's out there and what's available to you from a tax optimization standpoint as a Canadian investor. And then you can best decide whether you want to take those optimizations to that level. Now, my guest, Brendan Wood, and I each do this level of optimization in our own investment portfolio. So you're going to get some real-life application here and not just some theory from some blog post somewhere. And I'll start off by letting you know how I do this myself. And then Brendan chimes in in case he has anything to add in this regard from his own experience. This way, you're getting input from two Canadians that actually do this in real life. And I think that can ultimately help you decide whether you want to do this or not. Lastly, in case you missed it, I encourage you to listen to the episode before this one if you haven't already, as this episode is a continuation from that conversation. In that last episode, we cover what savings you can expect by doing this level of optimization, how you can best decide whether optimizing things to such a degree is a good fit for you, and how you can save even more money by lowering the other fees that you are paying on your investments. So definitely give that a listen if you haven't already. It's the episode right before this one. It's a great primer for this episode. And so now in this episode, we're going to pick up where we left off in that previous conversation. All right, let's get into it. Let's start off with bonds and where to hold bonds. So like I mentioned a little bit earlier, typically my thought process and based on the research I've read, thanks again to the folks at PWL, is that bonds typically, if you're trying to optimize that, they go into your RRSP. And why the RRSP? So the one element is that bonds tend to have lower expected returns than equities, and therefore it's not going to impact your rifts as much. So if you have that in your RRSP, eventually you get older and you're basically forced to convert it to a RIF, which is when you start taking money out of your RRSP. 
And when you take the money out, it's going to be taxed fully as income. So it's going to basically hit your tax brackets. Accordingly, it's going to start increasing your tax brackets. The bottom line is you want the asset that has the lower expected return, like the bonds in this case that are taxed fully in your RSP. And also the fixed income piece, the bonds, when they create interest for you, they are taxed fully if they are in your taxable account, also known as a non-registered account. If you're with Questrade, they call it a margin account. They are going to be taxed fully. So you're going to be getting hit pretty heavily on the tax front when it comes to that. And so instead of having it in your taxable account, it makes sense to have it in your RSP because at least that way you are deferring the tax and ideally you're taking it out when you're in a lower tax bracket. Do you have anything to add, anything you think I missed when it comes to the bond optimization piece? I think that makes sense, yeah. Okay, so sounds good. I'll try to be as succinct as possible. Like I said, complex subject. All right, moving on to Canadian equities. And I will say too, I guess to preface all of this is that we're gonna be talking about taxable account versus RSP versus TFSA. But that's assuming that you have enough in your portfolio where your RSP and TFSA are maxed out. And so now you have to decide, okay, I'm forced to put money in a taxable account. How do I optimize it? That's what we're talking about here. If you are in the case where your RSP and TFSA are not maxed out, which from research I've seen that most Canadians, then this changes things for you quite a bit. Generally, the advice is you do not invest in your taxable account at all until your RSP and TFSA are fully maxed out because you want to, having them in there, you actually get some better tax protection. So that's the typical advice that you will see out there if you talk to different professionals, different planners, things of that nature. Obviously, things can be situational. It can vary. If you have a corporation, you know, there's all these other kind of variables that can fall into play. But generally speaking, that is the rule that most will recommend. That's usually the kind of the correct answer for, I would say, a lot of people. But again, it can be situational as well. So for my case, in my example, I keep my Canadian equities, I keep them mostly in my taxable accounts because when the dividends get issued on those, I get the dividend tax credit. That is basically an advantageous account to have your Canadian equities in is the taxable account. And then, like I said, I put them in there. I would only consider doing that once your RSP and TFSA are maxed out. Did you have anything to add on that piece, Brendan? I just wanted to clarify one thing. So sure. specifically, Canadian assets are advantageous in, in a taxable account, assuming you've maxed out everything else. You would typically put Canadian equities in there versus U.S. ones? Yes, that's how I do it because the vast majority of my U.S. equities are in my RRSP. They are U.S. listed in U.S.D. currency. I did it through the Norbert's Gambit. And so they are there just so that I can avoid the U.S. withholding tax. So that was my logic there. You mentioned like having the dividends in your Canadian account is nice because you get the dividend tax credit for it. Yes. That means that if you have stocks or particular ETFs that, are, that pay higher dividends than others that you would want to consider putting them in that taxable account so that you're able to get that tax credit? Yeah, if it's a Canadian equity, because you only get that dividend tax credit if it's a Canadian equity company or like a Canadian stock that issues the dividends. You don't get that on US equities. You don't get that dividend tax credit in your taxable account on US equities or on inter other international equities. So that's that's the way that I do it. All right. So the other complexity, just to answer your question with in terms of Canadian equities, getting the, the tax credit, that's all fine and good and great, assuming you have your TFSA RSP ta maxed out. Awesome. However, the complexity thing is, in my case, I'm too young to get government benefits like OAS or GIS that could get clawed back with income. But however, I am a parent to two kids and we get the Canada child benefit. And so what happens there when you take when you get these Canadian dividends on these Canadian companies in your taxable account, the way that it works is, yes, you get a dividend tax credit, but there is also a gross up that the government does 
on those dividends that are received. So it's almost like inflating your dividends in a way where it's saying you got more dividends than you really did from a Canadian side. And then that higher amount is being used to actually determine how much you get in terms of your Canada child benefit, or if you're older, how much you get in terms of something like OAS and GIS. And so the reason this is complicated, right, is because now you've got this sort of dilemma where, okay, if I keep holding my Canadian equities in a taxable account, they're going to get grossed up and I'm still getting dividend tax credits. So all is okay on that front. But how much are my government benefits getting clawed back now because it's using this grossed up higher amount of Canadian dividends? Which one is more optimal? And so the way that I've personally solved this problem myself is I essentially, I have an accountant now and I have him run different scenarios. So I say, okay, if I had my Canadian equities in my taxable account, that I'm getting more benefits to taken away because of this grossed up amount, but I'm getting the dividend tax credit. So should I have that? Or should I actually have my Canadian equities not in a taxable account because it's basically hurting how much I'm getting in terms of the Canada child benefit? And because the whole tax system and is so darn complicated, <laughs> this is why I have my account do this because he has a tax software that's updated every year with the latest numbers. He knows how to use this correctly better than I can. And he will basically run these different scenarios. And so in my case, it still makes sense. When he ran the numbers for me, it did make sense to still have the Canadian equities in my taxable accounts for my particular situation. But I'm not going to come out here and say that is the correct answer for everyone, no matter what, no matter what your situation, because there's so many variables at play here, right? And so my suggestion, you could just do what I do, which is speak to your account, have them run the scenarios and see which one is more advantageous to you because with all of these things taken into account based on your particular situation. All right, I'm going to leave it there on that front. But Brendan, if you want to jump in or have any follow-ups, please let me know before you move on to the next one. I think that's great. Okay. (laughs) Did I actually answer your question? Yes. Oh, absolutely. You did. (laughs) Sounds good. It's a lot. Yeah. And uh, taking up many hours of thought. (laughs) And eventually I'm just like, I need my account to help me with this because I tried figuring out the tax software myself. And if you don't do this for a living, it's tough, right? You've got to be a master at tax software. I'd rather have a second set of eyes on this. And now a quick message from one of our sponsors. There are so many opinions on how to invest your money today, but it can be hard to find credible voices to rely on in the world of finance and investing. One resource that I turn to every week is the ETF Market Insights YouTube channel led by today's episode sponsor, BMO ETFs. Market Insights brings in industry experts and the weekly episodes cover the hottest themes like inflation, infrastructure, healthcare, and more. Tuning in helps me stay up to date on what's happening so I can be a smarter investor. And you can also submit your own ETF questions to be answered on the show. So do yourself a favor and subscribe on YouTube to ETF Market Insights or visit ETFMarketInsights.com so you can be notified when future episodes go live. And now back to the show. Moving on, U.S. listed equity ETFs in the RSP. So the whole thing there is that when it comes to your U.S. equities, the typical advice you'll hear is that should be in your RSP because there is that tax treaty that you mentioned earlier, Brendan, between Canada and the U.S., where if you have this in these in your the U.S. equities in your RSP, you do not pay withholding tax on the dividends that get generated by those companies when they get paid out to you. So, so that's kind of the thing. Now, I think a common mistake people make when they don't go into the weeds on this enough is they hear, oh, okay, got it. U.S. equities, RSP, done. 
And that's not the answer. That will not give you that benefit. You will still end up paying the withholding tax. And so the whole caveat here is that the US equities that you hold in your RRSP, they have to be US listed ETFs, which means, so to give you an example, like for me, I buy VTI. It's a Vanguard product. Again, do your own research, do your own due diligence, but that's what I buy for my US equity in the US. So if I want to buy that, however, I need to buy it with US currency. And because I'm, it's US listed, so I'm buying with US currency, now it's all of a sudden eligible for this tax treaty we're talking about. So you're no longer paying this withholding tax. So that's great. Now, the extra level of complexity to this now is, okay, now how do you get the US dollars? Because with a lot of brokerages and other organizations that do exchange rates, if you just have, let's say, your brokerage automatically convert your Canadian dollars to US dollars because you want to buy VTI, typically what happens is the rate that you get for that currency exchange is not very great in my experience and from others I've talked to and researched and that kind of a thing. And so to make this whole thing even worth your while, you actually need to get a really good exchange rate. Okay. And so then the question becomes, okay, how do I get a good exchange rate? And so the answer to that that at least what I do personally is you use a technique called Norbert's Gambit. And now this is a whole nother thing. It took me several years to actually, I've been like investing where it was worth my while to actually feel brave enough to do it because it's intimidating. And I do have a blog post where I actually explain how to do it and how I do it. So if you, I'll leave it in the show notes. And if you Google Build Wealth Canada, Norbert's Gambit, I'm sure it'll, it'll come up as well. So it took me, like I said, a few years of actually being a seasoned investor to be like, all right, I'm I'm getting it now. I feel comfortable doing it. And so by doing that, you're basically getting the best exchange rate that I know of how to get. And now that you're getting the true exchange rate, because you're not paying all these fees to the brokerage or the bank or whatever, now you're able to convert your currency cheaply to, in my case, to buy VTI. And now because it's US listed, now you're getting, you're exempt from the withholding tax. So that's how I optimize that. And there you go. I warned you, this is going to get complex. Thanks, everyone. So, Brendan, do you have any thoughts on that? Do you do Norbert's Gambit as well? Have you found some other way to do it without having to do Norbert's Gambit? Tell me, because you said you, you do this as well in terms of, at least you do, to some degree, you do asset location optimization as well. I do, yeah. The main thing I do is try to avoid Forex transfers. <laughs> try to avoid that at all costs because it's costly whichever way you do it. Either you have to pay the 1.5% exchange fee, which I think that's like the typical amount that brokers charge for doing the exchange for you, which is a substantial amount of money. If you're you're moving $100,000 over, that's 1500 bucks that you're just, it's just evaporating, yeah. right? So I try to avoid it entirely. And the other option, of course, is doing something like Norbert's Gambit. But in order to do Norbert's Gambit, it takes a few days. Your money is out of the market for those few days because it's not going to be any investments that you want. So you're taking on a bit of risk there. If the market shifts 1% or 2% over a few days, which is not uncommon, then Maybe you're almost worse off for not having paid the 1.5%, or you could be better off, but who knows, right? So it takes time. You have to essentially implement Norbert's Gambit over a few days, and you take on a little bit of additional risk for doing it. It sucks either way, is what it boils down to. Yeah. One of the other options, instead of using Norbert's Gambit, would be to actually withdraw your money to a to a Forex exchange brokerage, and they'll give you something very close to the spot price on it. But to do that, you have to pull your money out of your tax shelter account. And yeah, it's huge. No options are good. So yeah. my best advice is to avoid doing it wherever possible. If you decide you do want to do this tax efficient portfolio, do that transfer one time and 
try to avoid doing it going forward, for, especially for small amounts. If it's only a few thousand dollars, that it's not enough to really worry too much about the 1.5%. But for large amounts, definitely do it rarely and carefully. Yeah, what I usually do is when I have money to invest, let's say it's in the RSP, I want to buy some US equities, but it's not a big enough amount where I don't want to do Norbert's Gambit unless it's a big enough amount where it's worth my while. So I'll just buy like a total US market Canadian listed ETF. So I'm still buying the US market. I'm still getting exposure to it. It's still staying in the market. It's still invested. And then once that amount gets big enough, like what we're talking tens, like multiple tens of thousands of dollars kind of thing, then I might say, okay, it's, it's getting bigger. Maybe I should do Norbert's Gambit now just to get that because I'm an optimizer. That's my thing. So I'll do it kind of at that point. But in the interim, yeah, just keep the money invested in the market. That's interesting. You mentioned the Forex thing. Because yeah, I mean, I imagine the tax implications of that can be brutal. Because if you have, if you're doing this, then okay, so the money's probably it might already be in your RRSP, let's say. So now you've got to take it out. So now you're losing the contribution room. It's hitting your tax for the year. Like that sounds brutal. So it's more. Yeah, suggest- don't do that. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> and but if, I think- if you take it out of your RRSP, I don't think you can even put it back in. That's like oh, a- oh yeah, you, you lose that contribution room yeah. forever. You're done. Like you'll get more ne- next year when you work and stuff. But actually, well, that room you gain, you earned or whatever is gone now forever. Yeah. But I, so it sounds like what you're saying though is if you did that forex route, you don't use it with you don't do that with existing RSP money in there because that means you have to take it out, which will destroy you. Not destroy you, but very not <laughs> yeah. good. <laughs> so instead, I think what you're saying, if I understand you, is you, if you have money that's outside your RRSP and you're saying, I want to put this into the RRSP, then you could potentially do the Forex thing you mentioned. So now it's converted into USD and then you move it to your RRSP. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Yeah. So you okay. can fund it before you put your money in, make sure you you have it in the correct currency that you want. Got it. But you still got to pay attention. Even if you do it through your bank, they're still going to take their 1.5%. Like that, that's a big revenue driver for banks and brokerages is this, this Forex exchange. Um, mm. Wealthsimple is a great example of that Wealthsimple trade. So they are a zero commission broker, except that you pay that that forex fee on every U.S. stock you buy and sell. Um, unless yeah. you, then you, they have an option to upgrade to a premium package where you pay so much every month, and then they do it at a cheaper rate. But if you're by default, if you have a well simple trade account and you want to buy some Apple stock or a U.S. listed ETF, you're going to pay three percent round trip on that. Crazy wow. and. It, I'm not even sure they call it out as an explicit fee. I'm not sure you ever get statements about that. Most brokers, I don't think, give you statements on the Forex fees. Yeah. It's something that's like behind the scenes. And I actually got burned by that when I first opened a brokerage account about 10 or 12 years ago. I thought I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy the S&P 500 ETF and I Googled it and it was the US listed one and I bought the thing and mm-hmm. then it automatically yes. converted my money over for me. And eventually I decided I want to get out of that and invest in Canadian things. So I invested in the Canadian thing and I realized, hold on, where did several thousand dollars wow. go? They took right. that, they took it again because you convert to US and then you convert back to Canadian. So you got exactly. hit twice. Yeah. Wow. And, and it was never explicitly yeah. called out as a fee or anything yes. like that. It was just one of these things. And so that was a learning experience for me. Thankfully, only a few thousand bucks and not vastly larger amounts. But that's mm-hmm. why it's important to pay attention to this stuff. It really is. Yeah. I hope the listeners don't mind us going into the weeds to this extent, but the example you just gave, this is why I think it's valuable to go into the weeds because these things matter. In your case, we're talking thousands of dollars here. You, you do want to know those extra details because we are dealing with large sums. We're talking about retirement, potentially early retirement. You, you do want to know what you're getting into. This isn't some like little $10 thing where, oh, I forgot to redeem a $2 off coupon, right? This is, we're talking thousands here. That's fascinating. I wonder with 
in terms of that being like the moneymaker for some of these companies, because I imagine if someone, let's say here is, oh, I heard Tesla's doing amazing. I want to get in, right? And they get all excited or like when there was the whole GameStop thing or whatever. I, I wonder if they make money off that because people get all excited about a particular stock. They just want in, they want to buy. And at that point, they're like, I don't care if I'm paying a bit of a conversion, currency conversion fee on this US listed stock because it's going to go to the moon. So why the heck, like, why do I care about, oh, I'm overpaying a little for currency, whatever. And I, and then I wonder if that's the machine that generates so much money is because there are those types of investors out there where, hey, if you're, if you think you're going to double your money in the next year by this investment, what's this little fee? You just want to get an early ASAP. You're not going to spend the time to do Norbert's Gambit and efficiently convert currency. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Right? You might miss your opportunity. You might miss your opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So very, oh, very interesting. Anyways, I'm glad you brought that up. All right. So let's move on to international equities, which is the last. So I define international equities, and this is how it's usually defined. I find in this industry for Canadians specifically is even though technically the US is outside of Canada. Usually when people say international, they're talking about it's outside of US and outside of Canada. So Canada's its own bucket, US is its own bucket, and international is like all the other equities around the entire world. And then that can be a split up even more like emerging markets. For the sake of this conversation, let's just talk international equities, which I'm defining as the rest of the world in equities outside of Canada and the US. So the optimization here and the thought process here is that is basically to keep them in your TFSA. That's the common thinking, reasoning, advice people give online, that kind of thing. And then the reason for it is basically you're, you're going to have to pay the withholding tax on those dividends regardless. There isn't, like if you have an international equity ETF, there is no sort of like tax treaty in the same way that exists with the US where you can bypass that whole thing if you do the thing we just talked about, like with Norbert's Gambit, for example. And so those dividends that you get from those are taxed as income which that makes it unfavorable for you to hold them in your taxable account, okay? So that's, yeah, that, I think that kind of explains it pretty well. So again, you should probably be maximizing your RSP TFSA first, not even using the taxable account if those aren't maxed out for most people. However, if those are all maxed out, then that's one reason why, one kind of vote why international equities could be a good fit for your TFSA and why that's the common sort of optimization. And that's what I do as well. Now, if you're doing all these optimizations that we're talking about today, also your RSP at this point, it's already filled up with bonds, like we already said, and we mentioned why, as well as most of, if not all of your US equities at this point are also in your RSP as well, because again, of the optimizations we already talked about. So at this point, your TFSA, like your RSP is getting pretty full at this point with all the bonds and your US equities. And so your TFSA still has room at this point. So you can basically put your international equities in there. So that's the other... Again, I'm just giving you my thoughts and reasonings and things for that decision. The other point to consider when it comes to this is international equities is they are relatively high yielding in terms of dividends when they do pay out, okay? So US is relatively low when it comes to yield and how much dividends that pays out. It obviously depends on the company, but I'm talking total market. The international ones tend to pay out quite a bit. And so when these payouts happen, it can significantly hit your taxes if they are in a taxable account because you're holding these ETFs that pay a lot of dividends and there's no tax treaty or at least not the same like with the US. And so now you're paying, that's basically hitting your income really hard, could set you in a higher tax bracket. And so that's why, you know, whereas like, why do that when you can just have your Canadian ETFs in your taxable account because then you get a dividend tax credit, right? So that's the whole kind of thinking there. The international equities have also had decent growth historically. So it's nice to have that growth be sheltered in a TFSA where eventually 
you are withdrawing those gains and not incurring any additional taxation. So for example, and again, I don't know what like the US has also done really well, right? So you, you one could argue US is going to do it did amazing lately. It's going to keep doing amazing if that's what you think. And so maybe it makes sense to have all your US, fine, pay the withholding tax in the US. Who cares? I would rather have it in a TFSA because I think the US is going to go through the moon, beat everyone else. And so I'd rather have the US in my TFSA because that way I can take out those gains tax-free when I actually want to use the money, right? So an argument can be made that way as well, right? If you are convinced that US is the way to go and that it's going to just just beat everyone by far, then maybe you want it in your TFSA. Again, there's no perfect information here, right? So you just make the best decision based on what you know and what you think is going to happen. So just as an example, oh, sorry, Brendan, what are you going to say? Sorry, I was going to say, I personally try to avoid making any sort of speculations on yeah, which countries might do better than others, because if you fundamentally believe something like that about the US, well, maybe your entire portfolio should be there. Maybe you should change the allocation of your overall portfolio rather than the micro-optimization on where you hold things for tax purposes. Yeah. So I, I try to look at it as we, I've decided here's how I want my equity to be split. And I try not to bias them based on how I think the U.S. might outperform Canada or one or the other, just because that should be factored into your overall portfolio allocation, not specifically like your tax optimization. Yeah, I, I agreed. And I, I smile when you talk to us because I'm just like, this is like hearing myself think. <laughs> yeah, I have the exact same reasoning. Do I think the U.S. is going to do good? Yeah, I think so. I've got quite a bit of money invested in them. But yeah, I'm not going to start making speculative bets that they're going to beat everyone. And so therefore, forget all the tax optimization stuff. It doesn't matter because we want to have it in a TFSA because it's going to double way faster than everyone else. So yeah, here you go. Like, I just avoid the speculation thing. But I'm just talking to people in yeah, the totally. space, right? Some people are more, and that's because you and I, I would say, are more on the passive investor side, right? Um, we will do like more cap-weighted, that kind of thing. Whereas there's people that are willing to make those bets and Hey, if they're right, they may become a lot wealthier than you or I, but they may also be completely wrong because now you're putting a lot of eggs in one basket. One thing that I like to think about too is the tax optimizations are a known thing. As soon as you do a tax optimization, you start saving that money pretty much right away, right? Or relatively quickly. So that is a known thing because I can make that decision based on existing tax rules and legislation and all that. Some For some of these other things like which country is going to perform better. I don't know. No one really knows. We can all speculate. No one knows. So I would rather optimize around the tax piece, like having profit as allocation, tax optimization, because these are no, like the tax thing is more of a known thing as opposed to- something you can control. I can control it. Exactly. Exactly. And I know if I do X, I'm going to save Y. Whereas I can't say, if I put more in the US, I'm going to for sure- make more than if I did the other thing. And it's like, you don't though, because who knows what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Oh, then, and so the other thing too, is like in terms of the, just to finish the thought on the international piece, and, and just to give that as an example, because the growth on international stocks has been decent as well over the years, having an NTFSA is fine. I would never want, I'm comfortable with that. I would never want to have, for example, my bonds in the TFSA because they, those, I'm an all equity investor anyway, but if I was, had some in bonds, I would never put them in the TFSA because they have a lower expected return. So if there was this, vehicle, which is the TFSA, where you can withdraw your growth tax-free, then obviously you want these assets that you're going to grow the most in there instead of some, instead of the asset that is actually historically and most likely going to return the least. Do, are you aligned with that, Brendan, or did you have anything to add? Yep, absolutely. And now a quick message from one of our sponsors. These are our hiring goals, they say. They're very aggressive. But when everyone looks to you, you're calm. Why? Because you know you don't need a miracle. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. 
Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed's hiring platform helps you easily schedule and conduct virtual interviews all in one place. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful matching tools that find you matched candidates fast. On Indeed, over 85% of employers find quality candidates whose resumes match their job description the moment that they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. One of the things that I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because the moment you post a job on Indeed, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes match your job description, and you can even invite them to apply right away. So start hiring now with a $100 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash build wealth. Offer is good for a limited time. Again, you can claim your $100 credit now at Indeed.com dot com slash build wealth terms and conditions apply and now back to the show so moving on to the next question what are your thoughts on actually not being a hundred percent optimized all the time so that we have the flexibility of having different etfs and different accounts when we're actually living off our portfolio i think you should never try to be a hundred percent optimized all the time i think that is an unattainable goal like practically unattainable so if you want to be 100% optimized, that would also mean that you want your allocation to be 100% bang on all the time. And that would mean even within a space of a month, the market can shift to bring you down by a few percent here and there, meaning you'd have to be rebalancing very frequently. You probably would need to be moving money back and forth between CAD and USD. It's doable, but it's an awful lot of work. And it, it, there is a cost involved in maintaining a high level of optimization to the point where it might not even be optimal to be optimized all the time. Uh, that a trick is like, how, what is your tolerance for deviation from like this perfect ideal? And I think it's good to be fairly flexible most of the time, to be honest, at least me personally, even if my portfolio falls under a 90% accuracy, like that's a sign for me to look at it and think about it and decide, do I want to do something here? But that's not necessarily like a bonfire that needs to be put out. It's, um, I could do something or I could not, then I'm still very close to my target. And it's not like being 10% off is going to make or break me. It's just a micro-optimization that you can choose to act on if you want. It's a similar sort of thing with tax efficiency. So there's like a diminishing returns thing here where you can put twice as much effort into it and that doesn't mean you're going to save twice as much money. It's probably more an 80-20 rule where the first 80% of the benefits that you can get from being tax-optimized take 20% of the effort. And then that remaining 20% that you want to get is far, far more complicated. If you really want to do it, you could employ an accountant or a tax professional to do the math for you, but they're going to charge you money and relative to how much money they're going to save, right? If you don't, if you're already fairly well optimized from a tax perspective, it might be helpful to get an assessment on it, but you don't necessarily want to ask too many questions because you may end up paying $500 just to learn that you're already doing it well. Exactly. It's nice to have reassurance, but there, there is such a thing as going, is trying to be too optimized to the point like where it's actually detrimental. Yeah, that makes sense. The pricing for accountants can vary quite a bit. You could hire the best accountant in Canada that charges some really high hourly rate. Meanwhile, maybe your portfolio is $10,000, so it's okay. They're going to tell you how to optimize things, but the cost clearly is not going to, even if you apply everything they told you, you're still negative at the end of the day <laughs> because yeah. of what they charged you. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. Yeah, no, that's good to know. And I think too, just in terms of not being 100% optimized, what I found as well is 
we talk about which ETF should be in which account. What I have found actually like living off our portfolio as well is that it's actually advantageous to have more than, for example, we talked about the RSP, how that, how in there you would have your US equities. It's actually nice to still have other investments, other ETFs in there as well, because sometimes when you're, when you are retired and you're actually living off your portfolio, you're withdrawing the amount, you want to be able to pull from the different buckets, right? So if you're like, I need X thousand dollars for groceries for the year. Okay. I can pull that money from my taxable account, from my TFSA or from my RRSP. Which one do I want to pull from? Because each of those are going to hit my tax different so that at the end of the year, my goal is to stay in the lowest tax bracket. And so you want that flexibility. If you're like, okay, I need to pull something from my RRSP, but all that's in there is US equities. Now you've got a bit of a problem for yourself because you're like, I want to take money from RSP. All I have in there are US equities, but maybe I'm already underweight in terms of my US. Maybe the stock market in the US fell. I'm already underweight there. So now if I take those out, now I'm even more underweight in the US equities. So now this is a new problem that you just created for yourself. And so you may have been better off. And, and this is what I personally do is, yeah, I have things up to kind of what you're talking about, like 80-20 rule. I'll have things pretty finely optimized for the most part, but I still like having some other ETFs from like some Canada, some international sprinkled throughout as well, just so that I can draw on them if needed in certain circumstances so that I'm not forced to sell a particular ETF because that's the only one that I have in that account, for example. So like my TFSA, yeah, it's got a lot of international equities in there. It's not only international equities. I've got some US in there too. So I think that's a helpful way to think about it. Again, to not become overzealous on this whole asset location thing at all costs, because yeah, you do want some of that flexibility, especially when you're in the asset decumulation phase. Awesome. Um, okay, thank you. So yeah, I, I just wanted to add to that because I, I found that was a real game changer on my end. How can listeners set up passive to have it help rebalance their portfolio in the most tax efficient manner? And can you tell us where listeners can go to get the free premium account and passive as well? Absolutely. So you can go to passive.com to set up an account, link to your brokerage account and try it out. There should be a link in the in the notes for this podcast somewhere. That's how you get the account. In terms of how you get the free premium, we have a partnership with Questrade and Questrade provides the free premium experience of Passive. We call it Passive Elite. It's provided free to all Questrade customers. So if you have a Questrade brokerage account and you link it to Passive, we'll automatically give you that offer and so you can have all the features for free. It doesn't cost you anything. So that's a really great benefit. And Questrade really is the ideal brokerage to, to be doing this kind of stuff in Canada because they have free ETF buys. If you're in the accumulation phase of growing your wealth, it doesn't really cost you anything to do it there. So you get a free you get free tooling that helps you do this. You get you don't really pay the commissions on when you're buying assets. You would pay when you do a rebalance because there's some selling involved there, but you don't really do that often, especially if you're using passive. We take new money that you're contributing to your account and we're using it to buy the underweight assets. So you're continually rebalancing just by contributing to your account. Anyway, it's a really great offer. And I highly recommend it for Canadians who are trying to invest with ETFs. In terms of setting things up for a tax-efficient manner, we can support you with that. We have a, a set of tooling built into Passive that we call asset class portfolios. And that is uh, the mechanism by which we support tax-efficient portfolios. I think there are a few guides out there. Uh, maybe we can find some links and put them in the notes as well. We won't do it for you because it's a complex topic and we are not financial advisors. We won't do it for you, but all the tools are there for you to be able to set it up um, in your own account for your own situation. Awesome. And one of the things that we're going to be doing too is Brendan and I are going to be, basically right after this interview, we're going to actually be shooting a tutorial video 
of how to set all of this up yourself in passive if you choose to do so. Uh, and so definitely check out that video. This way you can actually visually see how to do it, how to set up, how to make it efficient, how passive works, the whole thing. So the link that I created to get you to that video, it's just buildwealthcanada.ca slash setup. All one word, no dashes. So just buildwealthcanada.ca slash setup. And you go there, it's going to take you that video and it will show you how to do everything. So this way you get a nice sort of visual demonstration as well. And Brennan said it is free to use this, particularly if you're a, a Quest Trade user. And I think you guys still have a free account as well, even if you're not a Quest Trade user, right? That's right. Yeah. Passive is free to use. Choose to link an account, set up a portfolio, and balance your account. The more advanced functionality like trading and asset class, those are the premium features. If you're not with Quest Trade, it costs $99 a year, plus tax, of course. 99 US a year, I should say. But you know that that works fine as well. It's really just a bonus if you're at Quest Trade and you can get the whole thing for free. For sure, yeah. And that make that's yeah, that's what I do. I've been using the premium for a long time, and yeah, I'm a Quest Trade user, so I've just been using the premium account for passive for free. But yeah, definitely. Like I said, highly recommended. Been using it for years at this point. Um, fantastic. I barely ever log into my Quest Trade account anymore, just because like why when I can go into passive and then I see not just my account but my wife's account as, as well, and then we can do everything there. So yeah, it's been fantastic. Huge fan. And yeah, well, we're going to do the video right now. So everybody go check out that link, buildwithcanada.ca slash setup, and we'll take it from there. So Brendan, thanks so much for coming on. It's been great. It's nice to find another person like myself who likes optimizing these things because <laughs> sometimes people's eyes just glaze over, I, I suspect. So it's nice to find someone where that doesn't happen to. But we definitely have some optimizers listening to this podcast as well. So I think we're in good company. Thanks again for coming on. It's been wonderful. And I look forward to seeing you again. Thanks for having me. I'll see you around. All right. Thanks for tuning in. And just a quick reminder that I'm in the process of creating a free six-day mini course showing you the details of how I personally invest. Again, just to keep everything transparent, I show you what investments I buy, the tools I use, and how I optimize my investments and finances to pay the least in unnecessary fees and taxes. To get it, you can just sign up anywhere for free over at buildwealthcanada.ca, and I'll send you the course the moment it's ready. And it might even be ready now, depending on when you listen to this episode. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone that you think may find it useful. And of course, leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify is always super, super appreciated as well. I'd like to end with a big thanks to two of our sponsors who, apart from my investing course, literally keep the entire Build Wealth Canada podcast and website free for you. Do you know why asset allocation ETFs have become so popular? Asset allocation explains over 90% of the variation in a portfolio's quarterly returns. So it's no wonder Canadian investors are turning to these ETFs. Today's sponsor, BMO ETFs, offers these innovative all-in-one solutions with the BMO All Equity ETF, ZEQT, BMO Growth ETF, ZGRO, BMO Balanced ETF, ZBAL, BMO Conservative ETF, ZCON, and more. BMO developed these to help provide investors with ETFs that offer broad diversification and they're also low cost and simple to use. These ETFs invest in a number of underlying index-based ETFs and are rebalanced automatically back to your set asset allocation or mix of stocks and bonds. They offer a hands-free approach to investing that is built on disciplined weights to provide exposure to different geographies and sectors all in one solution. BMO actually offers eight asset allocation ETFs and you can learn more at BMO. ETFs.com.
Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed's hiring platform helps you easily schedule and conduct virtual interviews all in one place. And it streamlines hiring with powerful matching tools that find you matched candidates fast. On Indeed, over 85% of employers find quality candidates whose resume matches their job description the moment that they sponsor a job, according to Indeed data. One of the things that I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. It gets you one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates on the platform. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. And Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner, delivering eight times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. So start hiring now with a $100 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash buildwealth. Offer is good for a limited time. Again, you can claim your $100 credit now at Indeed.com dot com slash build wealth terms and conditions apply thanks for listening to the build wealth canada podcast at www.buildwealthcanada.ca